Speech Pathology Australia acknowledged the traditional custodians of the lands, seas and waters throughout Australia and pay respect to Elders past, present and future. We recognise that the health and social and emotional well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are grounded in continued connection to culture, country, language and community and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week we showcase a conversation with inspiring and influential people who are advancing practice in one of the many and varied areas of speech pathology. Let's hear from this week's contributors. Hi everyone, it's Annika. Thanks so much for joining me for this week's Speak Up Conversation. Friday the 14th of October is Developmental Language Disorder Day. It's a day to raise awareness of DLD with the aim of reducing social stigma and improving access to specialist and support services. DLD Day is championed by the group Raising Awareness of DLD, is now in its sixth year and will be celebrated in more than 40 countries, including here in Australia. Today's conversation is dedicated to DLD and I'm really pleased to be chatting to a clinician that works primarily in this space. Lisa Quinn is an experienced speech pathologist and head of Allied Health Services at Language Disorder Australia, which is based in Brisbane. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lisa. Thanks, Annika. I'm so pleased to be here. I'm really looking forward to exploring DLD from a few different angles with you today, but I'm wondering if we could start with a bit of a clarification question, if that's okay. Of course. Can you explain the difference between a language disorder and a developmental language disorder? Excellent. Yeah, definitely. And I think this is a really important one um, to to have that sort of um, clear distinction on. Developmental language disorder, we would use to describe children and young people that have that persistent and severe difficulty with sort of talking and understanding, but where there's no obvious cause for the communication or language challenges. Whereas language disorder will be that sort of diagnostic term that we use when a child or a young person has that um, challenges with sort of language, the receptive and expressive language that's also in the context and associated with another biomedical condition. I think we're very um, conscious at Language Disorder Australia to sort of um, make sure that we're being very consistent with that um, with that terminology use and I think that's really um, powerful in supporting and advocating for young people with DLD as well as young people with the language disorder. Um, so we just use the language disorder associated with the biomedical conditions outlined in, in the Catalyze papers. Um, mm-hmm. um, so language disorder associated with ASD, intellectual impairment, HI, TBI, um, cerebral palsy and Down syndrome. And um, we had this sort of really, um, you know, obviously we you know, that sort of differential diagnosis can be a challenging space for clinicians at times. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that we had sort of an instant, um, or a a child that we were supporting um, recently that had um, a PTSD and anxiety um, diagnosis. And so we're sort of saying, okay, so how do, you know, what, how do we describe that? Um, Mm. And so it was, um, we were all bouncing it around the office, um, sort of talking about, you know, uh, where to, you know, how to proceed with that. And then we thought, you know what, let's reach out to Dorothy Bishop and ask her. Mm. 
so we had this really what exciting did she say? what she said <laughs> well first of all she responded so we were very excited about that uh, but she um really talked about um the fact that there isn't a, a, enough evidence at the moment about the um neurological changes um uh, for young people with with anxiety um and sort of P- ptsd and, and that sort of causative relationship um and so she really um sort of advocated for describing it as an associated risk factor so um the um, young person met all the other diagnostic criteria for dld um mm-hmm. so we did so we um sort of wrote a dld diagnosis in the contact context of the associated risk factor of ptsd and anxiety that had been previously diagnosed by you know an external uh, pediatrician mm-hmm. um so you know and i think that um that's again that consistency of language is a lot of our young people with dld will have associated risk factors or may have associated risk factors you know there's that sort of high correlation with um, young people with say an ADHD um, mm. um, so that kind of you know DLD diagnosis in the you know with an associated risk factor of um, of ADHD or whatever the associated risk factor may be. Mm, well thank you so much for that I think it's really important you as you say that we are consistent with how we use the language around that and yeah. I certainly know um, I've read reports where sometimes the term DLD is used in association with a child that has an autism spectrum disorder diagnosis and so forth. And I think, um, yeah, thank you for that, because I think we really just need to be really clear about how we use those terms. Now, I'm really keen to know what the current prevalence rates are for DLD at the moment, Lisa. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so certainly, um, Annika, I think this this is a space that there's an evolving research need. Um, I think we're drawing on um, um, some sort of key research that's indicated that, you know, that um, DLD prevalence rate sits around that sort of 7.5%, which um, um, equates to that sort of one in 14 um, children um, or approximately sort of two children in every classroom. Um, so, um, so, yeah, that's sort of um, the key prevalence rates that we're... Um, and as, are there any differences between genders that you're aware of, Lisa? No, um, not I, again. I think that um, Annika, I think that's a need for some further research. Um, mm. um, as my sort of understanding is that we haven't got that sort of deeper dive knowledge um, about the the gender differences there. So, um, but we just sort of that greater understanding that that one in fourteen. Mm, and the two per classroom. And I think that's a really exactly. yeah, it's such a, a powerful, exactly, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's an easy thing to put into your head and remember, and it's an easy thing to communicate to schools. Um, Yeah. Um, Now, I know that you're really immersed in this space, which is why I'm so excited to be chatting to you today, because I will be honest, I don't keep up to date with my research specifically in the area of DLD, but I know that you do. And I'm so keen to know what sort of research has popped up recently that sparked your interest. Yeah, um, and it is so interesting. And I think um, one of the sort of um, lovely things is that we are having sort of um, with that sort of um, consistency of terminology use, um, that there is starting to be a lot more research into um, um, supporting kids with DLD, which is really exciting. Um, and we were really lucky um, where um, recently we had a visit um, from Dr. Ashley Mulvill, um, who's um, with the University of Queensland. Um, and she's doing some really exciting research into um understanding the theory of mind development of young people with developmental language disorder um, and um, and young people with ASD. So so she was sort of fascinated, came um, and mm. met with the team and sort of went through some background information with us about um, how young people, um, how, how 
um, theory of mind develops in um, children in those sort of early years from sort of um, mm. birth through to sort of five years. So that in itself was so, so fascinating. fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. And, and, you know, and talking about how important that theory of mind development is as predictive of sort of those pro-social behaviours and your social skills development um, for young people as, as they grow. But her research is really looking at um, mental state, state language and how caregivers um, talk with children, you know, and I guess, again, sort of talking about that, that you know, that power and importance of those early years of development and, and the conversations that go on between sort of mums and, and, and bubs and, and, and caregivers and bubs and really looking at sort of how um, we use mental state language to talk about uh, explicitly about how we're feeling or how others might be feeling. Um, and so, you know, sort of talking about sort of, you know, if, if mum's um, chatting with her little toddler about, you know, um, looking at you know look how baby's feeling I can see that baby really loves every time every time baby sees you and our baby is smiling and using all of that sort of language about you know how someone else might be feeling um, and explicitly using those sort of you know I can see how they're feeling or what they're doing and, and you know being able to talk about that sort of mental state language and so her research is really looking at filling that important gap and sort of seeing how do you know because language is so important in that theory of mind development um, how do children with um, developmental language disorder um, develop differently? Um, um, and, and what the impact that might be um, um, from, you know, um, from that sort of early sort of stage. And so she's really looking at um, recruiting families uh, where they may have a child with um, a diagnosis of developmental language disorder and a, a, a neurotypically developing sibling um, and being able to compare the language that um, that mum or caregivers using uh, when talking with mm. their child and sort of trying to sort of unpack whether mum's um, um, sort of sympathetically adjusting her language, mm, obviously to accommodate. Yeah. Exactly, that's right. To accommodate for the needs of um, a child with with language differences, um, and whether that um, is is harmful or helpful um, mm. with regarding um, theory of mind development. Um, Gee, so, yeah. what fascinating research! Exactly. I know that it sounds like it's still sort of in the early phases, but has there been any findings just yet, or any sort of conclusions that have come out? I think too early. too early to probably sort of tell it yeah. um, in that with regards to the theory of mind development for those young people with, with developmental language disorder. And that's why this is such an important research to kind of mm. build that knowledge base. Um, but I think um, they have um, developed quite a, a lot of background information to the typical development uh, of theory of mind, which in itself is really important. Mm. I could imagine it's quite tricky, Lisa, for mm. um, recruitment in terms of um, preschoolers with a diagnosis of DLD. Is this something that they're looking at um, trying to do as far as you know exactly and and so I think that's um, that is one of uh, spreading the word I guess and, and certainly okay. if um, speeches um, who are listening to this have um, children that they sort of think might fit that recruitment base would be um, um, really important to sort of reach out and um, and support that which is excellent she's also doing um, another part of the study is about supporting kids um, similar age group you know that sort of preschool age of children with um, ASD and and uh, a, a neurotypical sibling so looking at um, the trajectory um, and development of theory of mind in ASD children mm. as well as um, in children with DLD. Wow it's just 
fascinating. I will put some information, I'll, I'll get some information from you, Lisa, and include it in the show notes if people are are interested in some further information about that. But, yeah, that's really fascinating. Fantastic. Now, typically in my experience, Lisa, I haven't had any success, I'll be honest, in yeah. having a child with just a DLD diagnosis yeah. being able to access NDIS but I know you've got you've had a little bit of success and um, I'm just really yeah. wondering if I can tap into that and you can just tell us a little bit about your experience with yeah. NDIS. Yeah exactly and look I, I can completely understand Annika it's a shared frustration um, that mm. I think a lot of that we've certainly experienced and, and will be shared by a lot of speeches listening to the podcast that there continues to be that sort of inequity of support and access for children with developmental language disorder but we are sort of seeing you know occasional sort of progress and with regards to that access and support uh, um, and I guess one of the things that we're really trying to do is make sure that we meet the NDIS where it is um, and, and ensure that our reports are reflective of, of their key elements, which is, is, is um, talking about that um, participation and access to community and making sure that we sort of talk um, very um, explicitly about how communication and language in particular is so important to community uh, participation and access. So making sure that we're really using a lot of the language of function um, mm. in those in those those reports. Um, we will also, um, in order to sort of make sure that we hit those different domains um, with regards to that NDIS access report, often do a, um, a an interview um, with with families um, and and because the NDIS recognises the Vinelands and the Pedicat, we'll usually lean on one of those resources in order to support that and provide that sort of standardised sort of information. The other um, element that we've um, We've really, um, we're consistently adding into our access reports and, and, and more broadly, to be honest, um, is the um, communication functions and classification system. So that's the CFCS. Um, mm, I which don't again, know that. Yes. Can, you ex- can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So the CFCS is recognised by the NDIS. So that's obviously um, mm-hmm. one of the reasons why we're um, we're really um, keen to include that in our reports. But it's the, the communication function classification system, which is a five level, which uses five levels to describe everyday communication performance. It was originally developed for individuals with cerebral palsy, um, but it's now being used to describe communication performance uh, for for any individuals, um, and so it really um, is a very simple um, classification to a system to apply. So it looks at you know how effective um, the individual is as a as a um, receiver of communication as well as an expressor of communication, and, and um, your ability to sort of assign one of those five levels um, mm-hmm. to indicate that um, it's freely available. A quick oh search. wow! Yeah, yeah. So a quick um, search on the internet will um, allow you to find the CFCS um, and it's been translated into a number of languages which obviously is is also great. Mm. Is that clinician implemented or is that parent implemented? Um, so I guess um, it's something that often would be done collaboratively. So you okay. might, um, so um, in that sort of um, your meetings with the families, um, talk about, um, so you can get that sort of holistic because one of the sort of, you know, is, is are they um, um a effective sender and receiver of communication with just people who know them really well? Mm-hmm. Um, or are they um, an effective communicator um, with the general public and with people who don't know them so well? Okay, so, yeah, so there's definitely parental input. So exactly. it sounds like it's thinking a little bit just beyond 
our standardised oral language assessment and adding a few other tools to exactly. what we complete and then obviously reporting on those in your yeah. NDIS access report. Exactly. And then we've, um, we'll often, um, the Speech Pathology Australia's um, policy brief on DLD also um, is something that we often sort of draw on and it um, has some um, nice sort of pieces of evidence about that, the lifelong status of DLD and the potential impacts um, if um, intervention isn't supported. Um, um, so, you know, there's some lovely um, elements that we can draw on from that. Um, policy brief to be able to include in the report. Um, so we'll often include, you know, those references. Mm. And how successful are you, honestly? <laughs> honestly, um, it, it, you know, and this is the frustration, I think, for our families uh, yeah. and for ourselves is, is um, it, it's patchy because it seems to mm. depend on um, who's, um, you know, who's, who's reading that report. Oh, um, but I guess, you know, I think it's, um, it's a fight worth fighting. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. right. I think um, it's kind of inspiring hearing you say that because I think after having knockbacks you start thinking oh do I really invest the time in trying to do this but it's nice to hear your story because I think it is important isn't it even if 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 the um application is not back Mm -hmm. it's still worth continuing to put that effort in so that we're you know plugging away a little bit I think Absolutely, absolutely. Now, I know part of your service, um, you have um, a school called Mansell College. I hope I've described it right as a school. Um, I'm really interested to hear a little bit about Mansell College. Can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so Mansell College, um, um, previously, um, some of your listeners may know it as the Glen Leiden School. Uh, so beginning of term two, um, we changed the name to Mansell College, uh, which um, is, is um, has been very exciting, particularly for the kids, so it's new uniform. And, and all of that. Uh, so that's that's a big job, though. It's a big job, exactly. Changing a school name. That's right, exactly. Uh, but Mansell College is a specialist school for children um, with a language disorder. Uh, so at the moment, we have about 130 students, uh, which is very exciting. And we've got a big master plan development occurring at the moment, uh, which is we've com- are just about to complete stage one. Uh, and um, over the sort of next three, um, two to three years, we're hoping to grow the size of the campus to around 250, 300 children, which will be really exciting. Mansell College is... um I think probably one of the key things that we're um, so proud of is, is that multidisciplinary support of young people um, with that sort of language disorder. And so our 130 students are supported by a team of um, about four speech pathologists and um, a similar number of occupational therapists. Um, and we also have um, sort of support of a physio, um, behaviour support specialist and music therapist as well, obviously working really closely alongside um, our teaching team. Kids, so a class size around 12 children um so again so you know that sort of um lovely supported environment where we're really able to sort of um tailor the needs and support to children with a, with a language disorder um we we really use um so a day in the life of a speechy really reflects yeah i'd love to know what sort of okay. perhaps evidence-based approaches they use or yeah, what their exactly. day looks like yeah, so um, thinking, so we really um, sort of lean on the response to intervention model. So um, a large part of um, the uh, species time is, is in that sort of um, universal support, that tier one support. So um, working along, alongside teaching colleagues in the classroom uh, and then a smaller sort of proportion of um, tier two intervention um, and sort of with, with regards to the small groups. Uh, so one of, obviously you can imagine, um, 
our children have that vulnerability with regards to literacy. Um, mm. And so that is a big um, focus for the speechy team is, is supporting the literacy um, of young people at Mansell College. Um, um, and that can be, you know, we sort of, as a school-wide approach, um, have that sort of reflection on that, um, uh, on the simple view of reading. And so obviously mm. speechies have a, um, a really key role in supporting the oral yeah. language. Um, um, and then obviously working alongside the teaching team with regards to that uh, supporting decoding and the, uh, you know, the, um, the phonics. Um, we use um, sounds right across the school. So mm-hmm. um, all of our speeches and all of our teachers in the primary school are trained in sounds right. And so, yeah. um, so that's a, you know, a lot of the focus of the support. And is it a primary and secondary college? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. yeah. So um, Peter grade 12. Oh, right. Awesome. It sounds a little bit like Morehouse. Am exactly. I right in saying that? Yeah, exactly. That's right. So um, quite similar to Morehouse. I think uh, Morehouse um, um, supports children with developmental language disorder. Our um, our support is, is a bit broader than that at Mansell College. So we support kids with um, developmental language disorder as well as language disorder associated um, with another biomedical condition. Oh, that sounds awesome. Now, if I can turn your attention a little bit to um, Friday, which is Developmental Language Disorder Day, um, which I can imagine would be a big deal for, for where you're working. My, I understand that the theme this year is growing with DLD, and I'm just um, really keen to tap into what we actually know about the life experiences of adults with DLD. Yeah, exactly. And I think, again, like the sort of prevalence rates, there is um, more research to be done um, to really reflect um, the experiences of adults um, um, with DLD. Um, So I think um, there's some emerging sort of um, history and and emerging sort of evidence. And, And what is interesting, and I think is when those of us who, uh, you know, I, I'll do a f- um, reasonable number of presentations uh, um, about DLD and almost consistently uh, at the end of a presentation or someone will tap me at the end uh, and sort of go, oh, I think that's what my son or my daughter or my aunt has. And so I think there's that growing space of that um, late diagnosis um, Mm. of sort of uh, people that perhaps have had, you know, are only uh, sort of in adulthood um, having that sort of um, recognition of of DLD sort of in that sort of um, later stages. Um, um, So I think, you know, there is that sort of emerging sort of space. Um, So, yeah, it's a growing space um, to do... um, and I think growing um, with our recognition of adults with DLD, as well as growing um, the services to support um, adults with, with developmental language disorder. And so that's certainly um, a space that needs further research as well, as well as needing further support. Mm, that's right. It's not very well serviced. No, exactly. At right. all, is it? Yeah. No. Now, purple and yellow are the colours for DLD awareness. I've just learnt that. Um, yes. And I believe that many places will be lighting up for DLD Awareness Day, including the Story Bridge in your hometown of Brisbane and the Balti Bridge in my hometown of Melbourne. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what's happening to celebrate the day? Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it is so exciting. And I think um, um, if you look um, at 
last year there was 85 locations lit up for oh, DLD. Wow. I know exactly um, for, um, for for DLD day and certainly they're hoping for more this year. Um, Brisbane is very well represented which is really exciting so we'll have King George Square and City Hall lit up as well as our three major bridges which is um, it's very exciting obviously as you mentioned um, the Bolt Bridge in, in Melbourne will be lit up as well as a number of bridges in sort of Perth, Sydney and Townsville so how exciting is that? Mm. Excellent. Something to keep an eye out for if you happen to be in one of those cities on Friday. Um, do you know what clinicians could do to get involved? Are there things that, that we can do to sort yeah, of get involved definitely. in the day? What can we do? Yeah, definitely. Look, I, I would sort of really recommend um, heading to the Rattled um, campaign um, website. They um, have put together some excellent resources really to support um, raising awareness of, of DLD, um, you know, anything from sort of um, social media, um, as well as media releases. Um, so there's some excellent resources there as well as um, PowerPoint presentations that they've put together so that those sort of speeches who might mm. be, um, um, you know, have the opportunity to engage with their community in, in raising awareness of DLD. So that um, is really exciting. Certainly um, our website has quite a lot of information as well um, that, um, that clinicians may want to lean on um, to sort of raise mm. that awareness. So I noticed uh, that there were some really great videos of actually people who have DLD sharing their lived experience, including um, children as well as adults that I thought could be really, um, I'm thinking for my um, school workplace, might be nice to share some of the um, children chatting about what their lived experience is. And they, they roll on that um, rattled website too. So yeah, exactly. So it's there's excellent. some good stuff. Yeah, excellent. Oh, yeah. Now, I am so wanting to tap into your head for my last question about what some of your absolute top essential resources might be <laughs> for us clinicians when we're working with somebody with DLD? What would you guys suggest? Yeah, sure. Um, and I put this sort of um, question out to the broader team. Yeah, I'd well. love to know so what they exactly, said. That's right, exactly. Um, and so they're sort of desert island resources that they sort of said that they um, kind of wouldn't uh, be able to live without. Um, one that really came up time and again um, is the Story Champs um, suite of resources. Um, um, and I think probably um, what the team really like about that is, is that there's the cubed assessment um, that um, can be done um, sort of initially when, um, when you're starting with a young person to kind of identify those sort of area of needs and then it's alignment with um, with the Story Champs program. Mm -hmm. um, I think, again, um, we use Story Champs within Mansell College. Um, so um, its ability to be able to use it at those various levels, that multi-tiered support so it you know it has um, resources that work really well in that universal tier one support but also can be utilized in sort of small groups as groups well as individuals yeah. yeah exactly and I think um, it's visual you know a lot of the team are really talking about sort of the visual supports um, that are used within the story story chance and the icons um, and how those can be used um, sort of um, um, throughout um, supporting young people. Uh, mm. Story Champs was really one that sort of came up. Um, obviously, um, um, Sounds Right is probably a, a key um, resource that um, that we use quite heavily across the organisation for that support of um, the systematic synthetics uh, phonics support. And they um, have a really great podcast as well. I don't know whether that's something that they've, they've just started. I think it comes out monthly. Yeah. Um, it is fantastic if people are, even if you're not using the program, it's actually a really great podcast to tune yeah. into. 
Thank you so much for sharing those. That's very appreciated. Um, it's been so lovely chatting with you today, Lisa. Um, I've really loved learning all about this DLD stuff from your perspective because I know it is something that you're so immersed in and so passionate about. So keep up the fantastic work and happy DLD Day on Friday. Yes, thank you so much. And thank you so much to you all for having Lisa and I in your ears today. Have a wonderful week ahead and we'll be back with another conversation next Wednesday. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast where all good podcasts are found and make sure you share it with your colleagues. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Thanks for tuning in and bye for now.